these are the sounds of San Francisco, home to Sam Shovel, Private Eye. Sam Shovel, Private Eye is brought to you by Lucky Snake Cigarettes. Feel your lungs constricting? That's Lucky Snakes. Now let's join Sam Shovel, Private Eye. I only knew the owner of the Lazy Eye by reputation, but Big Irv Thalberg had a big reputation. I wasn't looking forward to chatting with him privately and was glad to see the doorman, Eddie Santangelo, on duty. We'd bumped noses before, but it was nothing personal. I'd been given a lead to check out the Lazy Eye for the missing Cedric Waxwing, heir to SF's biggest fortune. Besides my wits and good looks, I was armed with a picture of the mook, provided by my employer, Horseradish Q4 Flusher. Only problem was, the photo was of a bum I knew as Herbie Wagtail, a murderer I'd gotten mixed up with in college, and who I'd helped along to the clothesline parade. He was, to put it briefly, dead years ago. It was still early in the afternoon and the fishing fleet wasn't back yet. The Lazy Eye was known as a Sardiner's Joint, and they had a reputation for taking on the Halibuteers and Octopussiers after they'd downed a few. But it was all quiet, so I sprung for a bottle of bluefin beer for Eddie, and I had a watered-down walleye whiskey without any complaint. I showed him a picture of the dead Herbie Wagtail, and he didn't bat an eye. Yeah, I seen him. You looking to pinch him? Over to your library books. He's got a pretty little librarian waiting for him at home with three little children's librarians crying their eyes out. His big grin meant he knew to mind his business. It also meant he knew he could soak me for a couple of bucks for the privilege. Word is he's soft on the dames. He glanced at the door where a stuffed tuna watched the street. One of its glass eyes looked askance, giving the club its name. Us doormen know he's a swell. Usually he flies in and got a couple of chickies under each wing and they crawl out in the weeds. But lately we've seen him stuck with this one dame. Blonde baby doll type. Tiny. Kind of goofy. No airs. Shop girl. Secretary type. Thinking on it, I'd say he's befuddled. A commotion was starting in the corner. A drunk Norwegian was slapping a flounder in his left hand and two wiry Portuguese were pulling sardines from their pockets. No one wants a fish fight in close quarters. You can't get the scales out of the piano. Since it looked like I'd owe Eddie, I followed him up quickly, twisting the Norwegian's arm and frog-marched him to the wall. Eddie had one fisherman under each arm and we pushed their heads through panels in the walls. There was a rolling pin factory next door and Eddie had a deal to let the ladies test their product on any heads that poked through. There was happy feminine hooting, followed by rough clunks, and the would-be fighters slumped. There was a grease shoot to the alley out back. If they wanted to fish-slap each other when they woke up, it was now their concern. A buck and a half later, and I leave with the names of the gals Eddie knew. Taffy O'Slappy hadn't seen him in weeks, and Mabel Trundlebum had the same story. But they both let me know he wanted to be called Zip, and that he drove a new flatfish fjord. So that was a lead to follow up. At the end of the day, I tracked down Maggie O'Malley Cat, who was looking for fun at the dizzy derriere. I pegged for a couple of cocktails to lubricate her yapper and got an earful. She swore up and down at the new girl, whose first name was Gussie or Gracie. Maggie'd wanted her hooks and zip and would have popped the new kid in the snoot, but zip kept the cocktails flowing and them all chummy. 
Last Maggie remembered was waking up at the Lariat Hotel wearing a Miss Castroval artichoke sash and a fireman's helmet. That was two weeks ago and she hadn't seen him since. One thing they all had in common, no one pegged to the name Herbie Wagtail. It had been a few years since I'd been booted from college and the Berkeley DA, Roger Galoshes, had retired. But he wasn't taking the Colma dirt nap yet. The operator connected us, and Roger and me had a good gab. He'd felt I'd gotten a raw deal getting kicked out of school, even with Professor Uppenhammer standing up for me. Galoshes matched my recollections of the day Wagtail had been turned off for Trentino's murder. No way out of it. He promised to keep me in mind if he had any business in the city to send my way. On a hunch, I asked if anyone had tried to put the pastrami on Wagtail's execution. It was pretty damning on your evidence. There was some noise from a private lawyer who said Wagtail was bankrolling a widow's and orphans fund. I took his call and... I remember an auto horn honking into the phone several times and an Italian ordering hard-boiled eggs before I hung up. Does the name Four Flusher ring a bell? That's it. That was the lawyer. I asked around the office and one of our juniors said he was some chiseler baiting rat traps in the city's lower end. We figure it was some friend of Trentino's having a laugh. I forgot about it. My next call was to Four Flusher's office. A Miss Dimple at the service said he was out, but took the message that I wanted to bring him up to speed. I planned to visit the Waxwing estate and caught the Van Ness cable car, but it was too small and I had to throw it back. The next one was big enough, and I got off at the Fjord dealership, where a new Fjord flatfish gleamed in the marble showroom. I vaguely knew Max Spear, the dealership security officer. He didn't want to sing without his boss or his throat spray, but he recognized the guy in the photo. The manager, a Mr. Allen, offered me a bourbon in the office. There were several more cows in heaven just to provide all the maroon leather in the joint. You have to understand, Shovel, we do provide a degree of discretion to all our customers, not just our best ones. In other words, he wasn't just giving it away if there was a buck to be made. Well, Allen, you can appreciate we're both working for the same how do I put it, patron, and that's Mrs. Waxwing. I know she'd be delighted if I could tell her you provided the missing key, as it were, to driving this case of her missing son, you know, home safely. You could see him doing the math, multiplying how many years of luxury vehicles by service contracts, adding high society goodwill, then dividing by whether I was honest enough to keep my word. He tapped a leather-covered pen on the leather-covered desk and packed a leather-covered pipe from his leather-covered tobacco pouch. He stood, looked around, and said loudly, Let's take that test drive you came in for. Ten minutes later, I was tooling up Market Street towards Twin Peaks in a new-for-last-year lower-middle-of-the-price-range fjord mud flap. So he's missing too. That makes sense, Alan said. I took a running leap and lowered the gear as we ground up the hill. The blonde girl? She's my brother's kid, Gracie. I got her a job at the front desk. I tell my brother she's doing so good she's at a sales conference for the week. That was last week. This week, she did so good she's at the main office in Michigan where they're training girls to sell cars. I parked us at the top of the hill where the city sat below us. The engine wasn't puffing or heaving like it would have for my old Nosh Rumblebum. In week three, there's no more cutting bait. It's time to throw in the line. 
you and your brother go to the watering hole and have a few good ones before you tell him that Precious has jumped in the drink and swum away with the city's biggest flounder. Do you have kids, Sam? I cringed. People burying their souls was my least favorite part of the job. I made a note never to bring people to places with inspiring views. I tested the radio and turned it to KKRH. They were playing some sad music. We'll return to Sam after a quick word from Lucky Snakes, the cigarette with a great taste of mamba. Take a pull on a Lucky Snake and feel the flavor dancing in your lungs. That cough is a good time trying to slither out. That's Lucky Snakes. And now, back to Sam. The Fjord dealer stared off into the middle distance. Not at the city, but perhaps a passing gull. I've done damn well with this job. I don't own the place, but I couldn't a few. I do more than my share of backstabbing and lying to stay on top of the other dealers, bring in my numbers, kick the others in the face. I love my kids and will sell a school bus to a sailor if I think I can get them ahead. Then I meet a Cedric Waxwing. I barely have to give him the glad hand and he opens his wallet. Money means nothing to him. It's all about the thrill. He'll buy a hundred roadsters to get that thrill and not bat an eye. And I think, is this what I'm lining my kids up for? When does me working to get them ahead turn them into lying louses? Gracie's a good kid. Sweet, kind, great sense of humor. I almost love her like a daughter and get mad thinking about her being some thrill to Waxwing. Then I take the next step about one of my kids in her place and I see red. I'd take his fat wallet and stuff him like a trout with that cash. I'd stuff him in the trunk, sink his red roadster in the bay, and pile another 99 on top. Sam, get my Gracie home safe, and... He did some mental arithmetic and pulled himself back from promising me anything I wanted. I'll set you up with this car, on an easy payment plan. He dropped me off at the Waxwing Estate in Pacific Heights. And free oil changes, for the first two years. Sam Shovel, Private Eye, brought to you by Lucky Snakes, was performed by Tony Jonathan. The Case of the Lousy Lawyer, Part 3, was written by Giorgio F. Kaufmankiewicz. I'm your announcer, Orvis Clamshell, saying tune in again for another adventure with Sam Shovel, Private Eye. The Kingfisher Radio Hour. Yesterday's radio made today for all your tomorrows. Check us out at kingfisherradiohour.com.